0: And if you'd like to help uh, give out food, uh, that's this Saturday. Well, basically from 9 to noon is the, the real crunch time. If you want to come early and help set up, you want to hang around later and help tear down, uh, that certainly is welcome, needed as well. But particularly from 9 to noon, we need help both on the parking lot and inside in the uh, gymnasium. So this Saturday, at the Bartlett campus is uh help group. Also, I will mention for those of you if, if you're here in the house, we're going to take communion at the end of, the, uh, of today's service, and if you don't have the elements, Jim's the got them in the back. If you still need one, you can go back there and get it. For those of you that are watching virtually, you get your crackers and potato chips and water, whatever you're going to use at home, you get that ready. I usually, if I'm not here, I would use Oreos and orange juice. I hope you understand that the elements are simply simple, right? Okay, we're going to talk about communion, but we'll get to that. All right, so again, a couple other things. You see over here on the wall, posters we put up last Sunday, uh, just different areas of ministry you're praying about that you might want to be involved in. You can still go over there afterwards today, and there's some forms over there if you'd like to sign up or just uh, touch base with Rhiannon or myself, and uh, different areas that you might uh, want to serve in the church that's available to you over there as well. We've still got, as of this moment, a men's mission trip planned for the 29th of the month and touch base uh, with me or Chad if you think you're interested in that and and, uh, I'll pass your name info on to Chad if you don't catch him, but uh, we need to know right away if you think men, if you think you'd like to go up to Ethnos with them on the 29th of this month, a mission trip, then um, you would benefit, benefit from it greatly and obviously we'd love to have you do that. So, all right, turn to John chapter 12 if you haven't already. As we continue our series in looking at the I am statements of Jesus Christ, we are looking at John 8:12. So let's just read that one together and then come back, kind of catch up where we are and finish up this particular encounter Jesus has with the Pharisees. John 8:12. Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. If you look at your handout and look at your uh, uh, notes there. As we look at this particular statement where Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and we've talked about this before, but again, context is very important. His audience is Jewish. That is incredibly important in understanding and getting the full import of what, when Jesus makes these statements, what's going on. The principle is for everyone, both Jew and Gentile, but he specifically, contextually, historically speaking to Jews and it's very important because it communicates a much deeper message when you understand that. So when he says I am the light of the world we looked at last week point or last couple weeks point one there in your handout what does it mean when Jesus says I am the light of the world we've gone to that in great detail we're not doing it again but just so to catch us up to point two that he is a light eternally that's who he is that's his essence that's that's by nature that's who he is. And anytime Jesus makes these statements that we're looking at in John, when he says, I am, if you'll notice verse 858 there on your handout, before Abraham was, I am. Emphatically and summarily they're making the statement that I am eternal. I, I am the great I am. I am God. I created Abraham. I gave Abraham that, the great Abrahamic covenant. I created Adam and Eve. I created the universe. I created you. I am God. So when he makes these statements... I am the light of the world, I am the bread of life, I am the door of the sheep, I am the the good shepherd. We're going to look at all of those. As he makes those statements, they are simply another way of building the case and emphatically making the statement that he's God. We talked about this when we first started. John's purpose in his gospel. The others were synoptic historic gospels. John's is historic, but his purpose in writing is to prove that Jesus is God and that through him and him alone you can have life. And we'll see even more of that next week as we look at Jesus being the door. So, this particular one, he says, "I am the light of the world." I am, that I am everything you need for the essential for life. I give that to you. I I, I created you. I created light. In the beginning there was nothing, Hebrew before there was anything, there was nothing, it just was God, and then I created. I spoke it to existence, even light itself, the, which we have to have to live, we've talked about that. I'm the essence of life, everything that you need to understand, to know your meaning, your purpose, wh- why you're here, why you were created, what it means to be a human being, how you can relate to God, I am the way, the truth, and the life will we'll. we'll See that. So, I am the light. Back to verse 12. I want to read it together one more time. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I'm the light of the entire world, both creation. I am the, even those who reject me, which prior to your conversion, you were in the camp of the, my enemy. I still am your light. I give you intellect, I give you the capacity to emote, to love, to create. Everything that sets you apart as a human being, you got from me, you're created in the image of God, you're created in my image. The entire human race, I came, I created, and then I came to bring redemption. So you don't have to walk in darkness. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you walk or you live in darkness. Because you don't really understand what life is all about. You don't really understand what it means to be a human being. But I can give you life. If that's my will for you as God, I want that for you. It's my desire for you as a believer, particularly. That's the way you live. That's the way you walk. Now, let's look at point two on the handout today. In the immediate context of what's going on. Go to verse 13. So what we're looking at in point two... Is Jesus said, this is, if you want to have life, you receive me. In point two, we're going to see they, what it means as they reject Jesus Christ. This crowd, particularly the scribes and the Pharisees that he's addressing, they reject Jesus Christ as the light. They reject him as God. We're going to see this over and over again. Verse 13, so after Jesus makes this incredible statement, I am the light of the world, the Pharisees therefore said to Jesus, you bear witness of yourself, your witness is not true. So here's the context. They're rejecting Jesus' credibility. They're saying, you're saying you're the light of the world. Big deal. We don't accept that. We reject your witness, your credibility. They know as masters of the, the scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, they, they, they were not just well-versed in it. They had a lot of it memorized. They were, even though they missed the God of the scriptures, they knew intellectually the scriptures and lived out legally the way they wanted to declare themselves righteous. That's why Jesus said, you're self-righteous. They just came up with their own set of rules and regulations based on their interpretation of the law and said, this is the way you should live. And they totally missed God. They were very religious. You couldn't be any more religious than they were, but they were literally children of Satan being used to be anti-Christ. They were anti-God. So they're rejecting Jesus Christ's claims to be God. They knew that's what he was claiming. And they cannot dispute or argue with what he has said, what he has done, his miracles, his words, his works. They just simply reject him. So let's begin to look and see what they reject. Number one, first bullet point there, they reject knowledge. Look at verse 14. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, in other words, if it's just me running my mouth, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. You do not know where I came from and where I'm going. Drop down to verse 19. And they said to them, where's your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. So go back to verse 14 and under the, the, the bullet point there, projecting knowledge. This is what Jesus is saying to them. You're rejecting the claims that I make. I am the light of the world. I am these, these different things. I'm God. You're rejecting those, not because they're untrue. You're simply rejecting them because I said them. Because you hate Jesus of Nazareth. You hate what I stand for. You hate that the people are following me and they're flocking to me by the thousands upon the thousands because in some cases they just want to see more miracles. They want to hear what I've got to say. They know that I'm different. Even the Romans know that. And you've seen what I can do. And you can't deny that what I have done is miraculous. You can't deny that what I've said is incredible. And you can't deny how I teach with an authority that you've never seen before. Again, even the Romans recognize that. You simply reject me because I said it. No matter what I said, you just simply reject it because you want nothing to do with me. Now here's Jesus' point to them. You're supposed to be learned men of God's word. As a Pharisee you're, and a scribe, your role in Israel is to bring the people to God, to teach them the truth, to model for them the truth, to be a spiritual leader for them. And you're not even attempting to do your job. You're avoiding it. You're rejecting the fact that I might be the Messiah. You're not even, bo- <coughs> excuse me, you're not even bothering to check out what I have said, to examine the evidence. These people might need me. Obviously, they do. And yours is simply rejecting it because it's me. It's a very common thing you see in cultures, see it in our culture today. Politically, our, our country is just like split down the middle. And it doesn't matter what you say. If you're a Republican and I'm a Democrat, I hate what you got to say. I, it may be the truth. I don't care. I'm not accepting it because you said it, as opposed to seeking truth. That's exactly what Jesus is saying to them. Notice what he says in verse 14 again I know where I came from. I know because I came from heaven. If you read through the Gospels, particularly in John, and I'd like, just a great thing to do as a believer. They're great books to study, obviously, but just on a regular basis, just as kind of reading, just spending some time, just read through the Gospels. Just read about the life, kind of like a biography, just read about the life of Jesus Christ in Matthew and see how he interacted, particularly with Jews, and in Mark, how he interacted, particularly with uh, Gentiles, and in, in Luke, a very systematic, historical accounting of the life of Jesus Christ. Just kind of read them. Kind of put it together. Don't worry about studying it. We can do that, obviously. But just for a devotional reading. Now, people get these things at the beginning of the year. I used to do this when I was in high school, in particular, and maybe even into college. Uh, And there's nothing wrong with it. Let me make it clear nothing wrong with it. But you get these things at the beginning of the year. American Bible Society used to put them out. How you could read through the Bible in a year, read this. Today, read this January 2nd, read this January 3rd, read this January 4th, read this January 5th. It might be five chapters that you're supposed to read. Well, I would start out real well. About January 5th, though, I, you know, I, I might miss a day. So on January 6th, being as anal as I am, what am I trying to do on January 6th? I'm going to read every, everything up to, the, and then I got to read January 6th. Now I'm reading like 20 chapters. And then on the 7th, maybe, I, you know, I'm going to play basketball or something, and i miss it. I gotta go, but now I gotta read all that. Now, I'm just reading it. Why? So I can check off on my, on my list that I did it. What am I getting out of that? Probably nothing. I might get, you know, the Holy Spirit might, might get through to my brain and get something out of it. What God wants is for me to center my mind for a certain period of time every day on the Word of God, whether it's a devotional time or just a reading time doesn't matter the amount, just spend some time listening to my dad. That's what scripture is, it's God's word, it's our manual for living as Christians. It's our Heavenly Father's message to us. And I, as a Christian, I probably want to know what my dad wants. That might be a smart thing to pursue on my part. And that's what Jesus is trying, and that's why when you see his encounters with the Pharisees, he's constantly trying to get them to understand, you are blind, and you're supposed to be a guide. People follow you. They they don't question you. They don't veer from the path that you set forth for them, and that path leads them, Jesus' words, Matthew 23, you're leading them to hell. That's pretty strong language. Step back is what he wants them to do. It's like when Nicodemus, who was the teacher of Israel, he taught the other Pharisees. And he, he, had a, a, he was seeking, but he didn't get it. When Jesus said, you must be born again, and remember, who was Nicodemus, the dean of the college, the teacher of the teachers. Jesus said, you must be born again. And what did Nicodemus say? You want me to go back inside my mom? That's what he thought. Here's why. Read John 3 carefully when you get a chance. Jesus was making a contrast throughout John 3 with Nicodemus. Water versus the word. Spiritual versus physical. Yes, you were born physically from your mom's womb. But you've also got to be born spiritually from above. That's why you see throughout the Gospels Jesus constantly saying, I came from where? Heaven. I came from above. My kingdom, even his own disciples didn't get it. Remember the upper room discourse when he said I'm going away and they said, whoa, whoa. That's the way they talk. "Whoa, whoa, whoa." (laughs) Whoa, where are you going? I thought you were the Messiah. And he kept saying, I've got to go away. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, but I've got to go. And he kept saying, I'm from above, and my kingdom, key phrase, is not of this world. It's not what you think. Because that's what the Pharisees had taught them. That one day, even to this day, Orthodox Jews and those who genuinely celebrate Passover who are not believers in Jesus Christ, Jesus as the Messiah, when they have their Seder meals, their Passover meals, they send a child out in the street to look for whom? The Messiah. They don't believe he's come yet. They're still looking for him. And Jesus desperately wants them to see, I've already been here for you. I died for you. I rose from the dead and conquered sin and death for you. I am everything you're looking for. I am that. and That's why the Pharisees hurt Jesus so deeply and why he had righteous anger toward them because they were lying to the people about the Messiah, about the kingdom, about who Jesus was. We're going to see shortly in the sermon series how they attack a man Jesus heals and they attack the man and say don't you know this Jesus is a sinner and the guy was blind John 9 he'd been blind from birth Jesus heals him and I love it because it's, it's almost comical if it wasn't so tragic here's what they say to the man the blind man And they kick him out. They excommunicate him. The worst possible thing you could have happen to you if you were a Jew was to be excommunicated out of the synagogue. They throw the man out because Jesus healed him. And and here's what the man said. said. Don't you know Jesus is a sinner? You don't see us following him, do you? You know what the man said? All I know is I couldn't see and now I can. That's beautiful, isn't it? They couldn't argue with the fact Jesus healed him, right? They couldn't argue with the fact... Everybody knew this guy was blind. He'd been there since birth, 38 years. They couldn't argue with the fact this was the blind beggar. And Jesus had healed him. He could now see. And he said, I don't know. I'm just telling you, I can see now. And I couldn't yesterday. He healed me. And their response was, it's so beautiful when you see the the dichotomy, what They throw throw him out. You know who's waiting on him when they throw him out? Jesus. Jesus is waiting on him. Because their whole concept of God was law, legalism, and beat down. Jesus was mercy, grace, and freedom. I'll set you free. It's beautiful. So here's what he's saying to them back to verse 14. I know where I came from. Why don't you check me out? Why don't you check out my claims? Why don't you check out my works? Look down to verse 19 again. They say, where's your father? Talking about God. Jesus said, you know neither me nor my father. If you'd known me, you would have known my father also. He said, you're rejecting my claim to be God. You're rejecting me. And you're rejecting the God you say you follow. You call your father. Back to verse 14. If my witness, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. You don't know where I came from, you don't know where I'm going because you don't know the father. Verse 19, you don't know spiritually God. You're not interested in truth. You're not interested in what I've got to say, you just hate me. I want you to for a moment flip back to chapter 5. John chapter 5. Look at verse 45. 5.45. That'll be about the time I finished today. 5.45. That was a joke. All right. Jesus speaking, 5.45. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There's one who accuses you. Remember, speaking to Jews... Very important, remember the audience. There's one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote about me. If you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Please don't miss that, very important. Where's Jesus? Remember who these people are, they're experts in the law also known as the writings of Moses. They had a lot of it, if not all of it, memorized. And Jesus said, you revere Moses, which they did. You revere the writings of Moses. And I'm telling you, Moses was writing about me. Do you understand, is it any wonder, why these guys had one goal when it came to Jesus of Nazareth? What was the goal? Kill him. We have to kill him. He's taking away everything we've built our power structure on. And everything we believe he's attacking. He's got to go. Because when he's, what he says in John 5, he looks right at him and says, Everything that you hold important, Moses, was about me. And you are throwing me out like I'm trash. You're rejecting me and telling the people not to follow me. I'm telling you, I am. It was me that met Moses on Mount Sinai. When he came down from being in my presence, his face glowed. I gave him the law. I am the fulfillment of the law. He even said that later on. And then he read Isaiah, and he put the scroll down and said, today this is fulfilled in your hearing, and on and on. I am scripture. Follow me and you'll have light. Back to John 8. Look at verse 12 again. Follow me and you'll not walk where? In darkness. And then, not only, and this is all tied together, are they rejecting knowledge, you're also just simply rejecting the evidence. Back to verse 13. The Pharisees said to him, You bear witness of yourself, your witness is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. He's just rejecting knowledge. What I have to say, rejecting the evidence that's right there in front of you, don't confuse me with the truth, is in essence what Jesus is saying to them. Don't confuse me with proof. We will not accept you, Jesus, as the Messiah, no matter what. We are going to eliminate you. Look at verse 15. Rejecting simply based on appearances. You judge, verse 15, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I'm not alone. I'm with the Father who sent me. They're simply judging Jesus based on appearances, gossip, what other people say. Not based on truth in any way. I want to read you a summary of this passage written by a guy named Ray Stedman. He's a a great preacher, a theologian of the late 20th century, and I love to read his writings. And He wrote this kind of a summary. It's so good, I just said I'm, I'm going to quote it rather than me trying to figure it out. It's really good. Concerning this passage, here's what he said. Jesus speaking. He says, you reject my claims because you look only at appearances. You, ju- you judge according to the flesh. You regard me as nothing but a troublesome rabble rouser who makes claims he has no right to. One who has no influence, no wealth, no standing, and no political power. And so you reject me. You even think I came from Nazareth and Galilee, and for that reason you say I'm not the Messiah. But you never investigated and found out I was born in Bethlehem. According to the prophet, talking about Micah, you do not know me at all. You judge by superficial things. You think as Messiah I'm supposed to lead a revolt against Rome. Because I don't do it now, you reject me. You never read the Old Testament that says many things have come, have to come, before that, end quote. Beautiful. Beautiful. You never bothered to even look into where I was born. You just assumed and based your rejection of me on an assumption. You didn't check into the fact and found out I was actually born in Bethlehem. It's like Micah 5.8 says the Messiah will be born at Bethlehem. You didn't bother to look into that. Because I don't do what you think the Messiah should do. You just simply reject me based on what you want as opposed to examining what do the scriptures say about the Messiah and realize I am giving sight to the blind. I am healing people. I am bringing life. You've already made up your mind. You want nothing to do with me. You're rejecting me because I don't do what you want. Let's pause for a moment before we go to the last point. The reason you study the Bible is to apply the Bible. How many people do you know, you don't have to raise hands, but I certainly do in my own family, who have an assumption in their mind of who God is, who Jesus is, and what he should be doing, and when he doesn't do what I want, then I want nothing to do with that. So many people who grew up in church, it's been a fact for ever but it's even more so now, that kids between 18 and 30 who grew up in church, just check out. So the percentage of like 85%. Because our culture... Particularly educationally, secondary culture, college, is so anti Christ, it hurts. They're bombarded. Their culture says to them, there are many, many ways to God. Jesus is one of them, that's great. But he can't be the only one. Then he's a liar. And if he's a liar, he's a what? He's a sinner. If he's a sinner, he's a what? He's just like the rest of us. He can't save anybody. What makes him unique is he is I am. Don't you want your God to be unique? I would think so. Jesus is begging these guys. Can't you just do a little work? I love to share the gospel with people who reject the Bible. That's great. Tell me where you came from. Well, uh, monkeys. Really? I, I don't want to be related to a monkey. And then you can, it's easy to prove that something made us. Now, who is it? Before Abraham was, I am. I made you. I love you. I died for you. They don't understand grace, most people. They don't understand mercy. They don't understand how much Jesus loves them. And by the way, what's our job? It's to tell them. Go into all the world and make learners, followers of me. Tell them. So verse 17, remember they're Jewish. This is very important here. Verse 17, rejecting witnesses, it's also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. The law of Moses. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Jesus said, saying, that's two witnesses. Two witnesses. The Mosaic law required two or more witnesses to verify something is true. So here's Jesus' point. You don't even believe your own scriptures that you adhere to. They say two or more witnesses. I got two witnesses for you, but you're not even bothering to check that out. Specifically, I'm mentioning to you Moses' writings again. And you're not even bothering to examine. So what are these witnesses Jesus is talking about? Well, number one, the signs and the wonders, all the things he had done. Go back to chapter 3 for just a moment. John 3, look at verse 2. This is the one we mentioned earlier, the famous story with Nicodemus. I want you notice how it begins. John 3, 2. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, came to Jesus at night because he was afraid to come in the middle of the day because some of the other Pharisees might see him. So he comes to Jesus at night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. We know. Who's the we? Well, it's at least one Pharisee and probably more and others. Afraid to stand up to the Pharisees at large. But they knew Jesus is special. He's not just another crazy guy come, coming along saying, I am the Messiah. There have been a bunch of those This guy does things that only God can do. And so Nicodemus comes to him and says, we know you've got to be from God. What can I do? And that's what we talked about earlier, born again. And see, spiritually, they just didn't get it. They knew Jesus was special, but they rejected him. So Jesus first witnessed the things that he did. He did things that only God could do. He wasn't some fake faith healer. When he healed somebody, you knew they'd been healed. Congenital blind. He was talking about the, the man in John 9. We talked about that earlier. And others. But Jesus told one, go home. Your son will live. Why? What? Just, just trust me. He healed from distance. Sometimes he would touch. Sometimes he wouldn't. He's God. He did things only God could do. His signs and his wonders. Just the first one at the wedding at Cana of Galilee and his mom said that they're out of wine. So he takes a, a cast full of water H2O and changes the molecular structure of it into wine. He didn't just pour some grape juice in it and get it a little red or purple. He changed it from water to wine. You can't do that unless your God. That's just simple. Look at chapter seven, verse forty-six. Seven forty-six. Officers come to the priests and the Pharisees and said about Jesus. Verse 46: No man ever spoke like this man. Notice the punctuation at the end of that sentence. What is it? It's punctuation. No man ever spoke like this man. Exclamation point. He we've been hearing teachers our whole lives. You Pharisees and you scribes and the rabbis and and the priests. Nobody talks like this guy. He's unique. His signs, his wonders, his words. Go back to chapter 5 for just a moment. Look at verse 16. 5:16. 516, for this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and they sought the killing because he had done these things on the Sabbath. He broke one of their rules. Jesus answered and said, my father has been working until now and I have been working. Second witness, first witness is Jesus, signs, wonders, and words. You could break those down into more if you wanted to, but we'll just make it one. Jesus, actions, and words. Secondly, it's the words of the father. My father has been working until now and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, number one, he broke one of the rules, but number two, he also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. By the way, we've talked about this before jokingly, but we've already seen three, four times this morning where Jesus claimed to be God. And there are theologians today standing behind pulpits that tell you Jesus never claimed to be God. I've told you before what is their problem? They can't read Just today, we've seen it four times, he claimed to be God, making himself, they knew he claimed to be God, we mentioned that also. Verse 19, Jesus answered and he said to them, most assuredly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. He said, I'm only getting started. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. By the way, there will be a point later on in the ministry of Jesus Christ where he walks up to a, a graveyard and he asks one person, Lazarus, to come forth. A dead man comes walking out of the tomb. That just doesn't happen unless you're God. You'll marvel at the things that I do. Verse 21 for as the Father raises the dead and he gives life to them, even so the Son will give life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, God, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I am one with the Father. One more time, John chapter 10. Just skip over there for a moment. John 10. Verse 30. This one you could probably memorize. Give you something to do this week. Might take you a week. You can get this one. John 10, 30. Jesus speaking. I and my father are one. It can't be any clearer. I and my father are one. Back to chapter 8. The father bears. Look at verse 18. "I I am one. Verse 18, John 8. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Constant fulfillment of scriptures. Constant fulfillment of God's word. In John chapter 8 alone, John chapter 8 alone, the word Father is used 21 times. 21 times. Jesus signs, wonders, works, words, it's authority. And then the words of the Father. For example, it is baptism, the transfiguration, and then what we've seen with Scripture. Constantly fulfilling Scripture. The idea, for example, we talked about a moment ago, them checking out where Jesus was born. How could he, if he was just another sinner in a charlatan, how did he manipulate Mary and Joseph, so he'd be born in Bethlehem. That's part of his con game. He did it because he's God. What made Quirinius call for a census at the exact moment in time when he was going to be born, so they had to go to Bethlehem. Because he's God. They don't bother to check any of that out because they're rejecting Jesus as the light of the world. Go back to verse 12 and let's wrap this up. The summary principles. Bottom of your handout. Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness but have the light of life. The principles. Number one, you follow Jesus to live in the light and not the darkness. That was last week. This week, willful ignorance, the Pharisees' choice, blinds man's heart the light of Jesus Christ. Will for ignorance. They choose to. When you you challenge people, have an intellectual conversation, an intelligent conversation, an honest one, ultimately it comes down to not an intellectual rejection of Jesus Christ. It's a moral decision. I will not have him have authority over me. That's what the Pharisees said. I don't care who he is. I don't care what he can do. He will not have authority in my life. I, self righteous, that was the Pharisees. I want to share one last passage of scripture with you and then we're going to close out. In Isaiah chapter 60, talking about Jesus being the light of the world, in Isaiah chapter 60, the Bible says this Arise shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you for behold the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people but the Lord will arise over you his glory will be seen will be seen upon you the Gentiles shall come to your light Gentiles your kings to the brightness of your rising the sun shall no longer be your light by day nor for brightness shall the moon give you light give light to you But the Lord will be to you an everlasting light. Your God, your glory, your sun shall no longer go down, nor shall your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light. And the days of your mourning or sadness will be ended because he's the light of the world. I want to share a true story with you and then we're finished. There was a man named John uh, George Whitfield. You wouldn't know who he is unless you've studied old theology. George Whitfield, there's other names you may remember, and there were three guys George Whitfield, John Wesley, and Charles Wesley. You've probably heard of the Wesleys, particularly if you grew up Methodist like I did. George Whitfield, John Wesley, Charles Wesley. They formed a small group Bible study when they were at Oxford, and they called it, quote, the Holiness Club. They fasted, they read the New Testament in Greek, they prayed, they served, they took communion, and not a single one of them knew Jesus Christ as their Savior while well, all this was going on. Charles Wesley handed a book written by a Scottish preacher named Henry Skrugel to George Whitfield, and the title of the book was The Life of God in the Soul of a Man, it was about being born again. 21-year-old George Whitfield realized that it wasn't what he could do for God, but through what God had done for him on the cross. He was saved, and George Whitfield went on to be one of the greatest evangelists of the modern time. He led the great awakening in 18th century America. They couldn't have been any more religious like the Pharisees but like Jesus told Nicodemus, you got to be born again. I'm the light of the world. Why is this important? Because we as Christians, those who are born again, we have the light of the world. We have a light. We don't hide it on. We set it up where people can be drawn to it. And then we get to go share that light with people and see their lives change forever. Forever. I'm gonna pray in a moment and we're gonna enter into a time we're gonna we'll share the Lord's Supper together and as the worship team lead. If you don't have your elements again, you can go to the back. Jim's got some back there if you if you need some. Just hang on to your elements and as the worship team is leading us, you spend that time alone with the Lord, reflecting, praying, listening. And then when they're done, we'll take the elements together. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you simply that Jesus is God, particularly today that he's the light of the world, a light we desperately need and everybody we know needs. We thank you that in Christ we have the light. We pray we would be convicted to share that light with everybody we can. They would see Jesus, what he really is, not what they think. We pray in his name. Amen.